Hey guys, this is Jim, and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'll be your host today on this dreary, dark day where I'm recording. I'm hoping that wherever you are listening, it's beautiful and sunshine and roses and all the good things. Um, <clears throat> we have several stories to go into, only one of which is actually a national story. The other ones are all taking place here in Michigan. So that's, that's unusual for me. I usually find a few local state stories and then a couple of major stories. Well, I guess the first one um, touches a little bit on the election nationwide. Anyway, it's from MLive. Um, it's an article by Malachi Barrett. And the headline reads, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer says first night of the Republican National Convention was grim and fear-inducing. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll hold my comments. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer said the first night of the Republican National Convention was markedly more negative than the Democratic Convention she participated in last week. Whitmer said the GOP event was grim and spiteful and fear-inducing, though she didn't highlight any specific parts of Monday's program. Republicans had promised an optimistic convention, but many of the speakers warned that Americans will not be safe from crime, protesters, or the coronavirus if Democratic nominee Joe Biden is elected. Uh, and it, oh, it talks a little about some of the speakers and stuff. Whitmer said Trump tanked the strong economy he inherited from the Obama-Biden administration as business closures caused by COVID-19 result in massive job losses. The U.S. unemployment rate dropped to 10.2% in July, but 16.3 million Americans are still out of work, and the unemployment rate is slightly worse than the highest rate during the 2009 recession. Um, okay, there's, there's a lot more, but I can't hold my tongue any longer. Uh, the first thing that she says here, she said that Trump tanked the strong economy he inherited as business closures caused by COVID-19 result in massive job losses. She's the one who closed the businesses. Trump didn't close them. So that's on her. That's not Trump's fault that Michigan is shut down. It has nothing to do with him. I mean, I, I mean, I guess her argument would be that he didn't properly prepare for it. And that's why we had to shut down, but that's just nonsense. Um, I mean, there might be some arguments. I, I don't know. I haven't heard any. There might be some legitimate arguments. But overall, this pandemic caught everyone by surprise. It's not like we expect this every four years. There's going to be a pandemic. And why wasn't he prepared? He should have known. There's nothing like that. I, I, I don't know. This is just ridiculous. Um, to blame Trump because of the business closures in Michigan, when she's the one who shut the businesses down, it's just absolutely gaslighting. It's it's she's either lying and thinking that we're so stupid, or she is so stupid that she doesn't realize that she created the problem that she's blaming Trump for. It's all very idiotic to me. The other point I just want to make real quickly is what is she doing? Is she the governor of Michigan or is she a political commentator on CNN or wherever she's giving this from. 
Flint has no water. Our roads still need to be repaired. We still have businesses that are shut down. Go to work. Quit running your mouth. Start running the state. Come on, let's go. Let's get to it. My gosh. If, I, you know, I seem to remember her being elected to lead the state, not to lead anti-Republican rallies and, you know, commentating on, on everything that's going on in Washington. Come on now. You're getting paid a salary. Let's let's do the work. You know, if you don't think the president's doing enough, then you need to pick up the slack. I mean, that's just the way it is. If if your boss isn't working hard, then you need to work harder. Well, I know Trump isn't her boss, but I'm just saying. You know, but if you see if you see something that needs to be done, go do it. Be self be self be a self starter. If he's not doing enough, then fill in the gaps. You do more. You know, if 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 what you're doing is good, then people will reward you when you run for election. They'll say, man, she really stepped up. You know, Trump screwed it up and she stepped in and she took care of it. Don't just sit there and whine about how badly everything is going while Michigan crumbles and you're still receiving your full salary and flying around on your private jet and being the host of the media, uh, being the toast of the town in Washington, everyone talking about you. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Get to work. Stop running your mouth. Start running the state. Um... Okay, the next one is right along with that as far as business is being shut down. This is also from MimLive. Um, well, I won't read the article, but um, I'll just give you the headline that Michigan, uh, Michigan movie theaters make a plea to reopen before it's too late. This is another sad commentary that they have to go and hold their hand out to the governor and beg her, please let us reopen movie theaters because we're about to go bankrupt and close permanently. We cannot, we cannot sustain this. It's just unfortunate that grown adults have to beg the governor, have to beg her on, on bended knee, kiss, kiss her feet, uh, you know, and say, please, please, your majesty, can you open up the movie theaters for us. We would like to run our business. Would you allow it, please? We're begging you. We beseech you. That is just not worthy of free people. We shouldn't have to beg the governor to reopen any business. This is just ridiculous. The governor should not have that kind of power to close down these businesses indefinitely. Now, there, you know, there may be a case made that a governor can impose a 30-day emergency, you know, if, if something happens, but it can only be for 30 days. It can't be renewed without congressional approval or something because, you know, there might become a time where the legislature is not, is not together. They're on recess and something happens that needs to be decided right now. You don't have time to convene hearings and that I can understand that maybe, maybe for a short time, like 30 days. But in 30 days' time, especially in today's world, when we have cars that that can speed, we have trains, we have private jets, wherever they are in the country, if they're on vacation or something, they can make it back in 30 days to convene and figure out what to do. But this is just absolutely atrocious. If the governor can just indefinitely close things down and just say, I'll reopen them when I feel ready. There's no mechanism. There's nothing to force her to reopen. It's just based on her own whims and our own decisions. That is not how our country is set up. That's not how our state is set up. We are not 
We aren't run by fiat. We're just by the decree of the king or the queen. They just decide by a snap of the fingers, this is what we're going to do today. Tomorrow I'll have something else for you to do. But, you know, you live within today. I'll tell you what to do today. You do it. Tomorrow it might be different. It might be the same. Keep your ears to the ground. I'll let you know what you can do tomorrow, what you can do after that. That's not how we run anything. The, the, the legislature is back. Uh, they might not be in session right now, being the summer recess, but they can come back at any point. If she calls them into session, they can handle this. And certainly businesses. Do you really think any movie theater or any business for that matter wants all of their customers to die from COVID or get sick? That's that's a great uh, incentive to come to their place. Please come come to my movie theater where you can get COVID with every every uh, box of popcorn. You know, um, I mean, come on, nobody's gonna do that. They're gonna do everything they can to be safe. They're gonna do everything in their power. I go to Meyer and I see them wiping down everything, every every cart. They're making sure that things are safe. They're not just gonna let people willy nilly just go in there and and catch catch a disease. They're changing their the way they run business to accommodate the situation. Movie theaters will do the same thing. Bowling alleys will do the same thing. Restaurants, everything, you know, schools. We can figure out a way to do this because we're intelligent people. We can find out how we can do this in a safe manner. So it's just ridiculous to me that she's um, that that she's governing by fiat here. And just closing things down, I'm making people beg her. And you know, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions here. I'm not saying this is what's happening, but I'm saying this is this could be rife for uh, uh, for for criminal activity. I mean, you know, if you throw her some campaign money, will she agree to open up your business? You know, I mean, I'm not saying this is happening. I'm saying though that this could lead to this kind of thing of, of bribery and things where you can wave money. So she'll open up certain businesses if you give her money, but not others. If you don't, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not accusing her of this. I have no evidence of that. I'm saying though, that when a governor can do this, it opens the door for criminal activity where, you know, so I, I don't like this at all. I don't like the idea of grown individuals having to ask permission from the governor asking mommy may I in order to do something that they are perfectly capable of doing and that's keeping their customers safe. Ugh, it's just aggravating. There's another story that I'm going to get to in a few minutes, which kind of comes off there a little bit or spins off that, but I want to get to this one first. This one is from MLive and this one's by Lauren Gibbons. I've seen her several times on uh, off the record and things like that. She seems pretty solid. I don't, I've never talked to her personally. I haven't, so I don't know where she leans, but um, Governor Whitmer signs back to school legislation, allowing for virtual learning. Um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed legislation outlining ex expectations for schools reopening during the COVID-19 pandemic, formalizing a deal reached last week between the administration and legislative leaders ahead of the new school year. The three-bill package signed into law this week, House Bills 5911, 5912, and 5913, 
largely leaves it to local districts to determine school reopening methods and guidelines, taking local COVID-19 metrics and recommendations from individual health departments into account. The plan doesn't doesn't require districts to offer in-person education options to be eligible for state funding, although districts must maintain minimum levels of teacher-student interaction and virtual settings. Hmm. The le legislation will weight per pupil funding for districts this school year based on 75% of last year's enrollment numbers and 25% of the current school year. Districts will have to provide at least two two-way interactions a week between at least 75% of enrolled students and their teachers. Hmm, interesting. So I guess, so the in-school, they have to, they, the teachers can't just just do a Zoom meeting and if no one shows up, that's fine. I mean, you got to actually have interaction with the students. You can't just lecture, I guess. Um, like pre-tape it, pre-tape all the years and then go on vacation the rest of the year and just show them. I guess, you know, that, that kind of a thing. You have to actually be doing it live, interacting with the students. That part I like. Um, I don't know about the, you know, you have to two-way interaction between at least 75%. Well, I, I guess maybe you can't, you can't talk to every student, I suppose, or maybe there will be no reason to talk to every student every day. But, um, but anyway, under the plan, school boards will be required to review the district's instruction plans on a monthly basis in public meetings. Um, the th okay, this is a little commentary here. The three bills passed both the House and Senate last week despite concerns from some legislative Democrats who unsuccessfully pushed to further loosen requirements tying state funding to student attendance and benchmark assessments as schools navigate educating students during a pandemic. Two major education unions, the Michigan Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers, were supportive of the compromise, although they questioned some aspects of the deal. School administrators and superintendents are concerned the plan further complicates back-to-school plans already in motion and doesn't address state funding uncertainties. The bill signings come one day after Whitmer announced $65 million in federal funding would be put into Michigan schools. The bulk of that money will be targeted towards schools with more than half their students in high-need groups, such as economically disadvantaged students, special education students, and English language learners. So English language learners, I guess, means immigrants who don't know English yet. I, I guess that's what that means. I'm not I, that's the only thing I can think of is what that would mean. Um, well, again, I really didn't think that she would allow schools to open at all. So I guess this is a decent compromise. I mean, I mean, I suppose if you have to compromise, everyone has to give up something. But um, I guess it's better than nothing. But yeah, I I'm not sure how this is going to work. It just it just seems like. Everything's a disaster with this COVID. I just, I'm losing hope that this, <laughs> that anything's going to work out well from our election to schools to, you know, um, to, to jobs. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm quickly losing hope that in our government's ability to handle anything, 
Um, not that I had a lot of hope to start with, but certainly um, whatever little hope I had is diminishing quickly that our government, national and state, can handle any crisis. Um, but anyway, all right. The next article is from the Detroit Free Press, actually. Um, and it says the whip, or this is this is what Whitmer said. Backers of a move to repeal the 1945 emergency law using unscrupulous measures. This is from Paul Egan. Uh, he's a pretty solid guy. Um, I follow him on Twitter. He follows me as well. Um, it's a pretty good guy. And anyway, this is what he says here. People collecting signatures to repeal the emergency law Governor Whitmer is using to address the coronavirus pandemic are using, quote, unscrupulous measures, end quote, including lying about what the petition drive would do, Whitmer alleged Wednesday. Uh, I like that he used the word alleged because there's no evidence of this. It's just her word, so I'm glad they didn't make it a definitive statement. Quote, this effort to repeal the 1945 act is very dangerous, and they're using unscrupulous measures to try to collect signatures, Whitmer claimed at a news conference in Lansing. Specifically, Whitmer said signature gatherers are telling some members of the public the petition is a measure to support her. <clears throat> I haven't heard that one before. She also says signature gatherers are asking people to sign the petition using other people's names, which would be unlawful. Oh, that's okay. I'm not even going to comment. The Republican-controlled legislature has pushed back at Whitmer's use of emergency powers, refusing since May to extend Michigan's state of emergency under the Emergency Management Act of 1976. That has caused Whitmer to rely on the 1945 law, which does not call for legislative approval to continue a state of emergency. A group called Unlock Michigan has reportedly collected more than 200,000 signatures on its way to a goal of about 500,000. The Michigan Republican Party is promoting the effort on its website. If Unlock Michigan submits the required number of valid signatures to the legislature and a majority of lawmakers vote to repeal the 1945 law, Whitmer would be unable to veto the move. Well, that's wonderful. Um, it's a lie, unlike unlock Michigan spokesman Fred Wozniak said of Whitmer's allegations. Our circulators are standing under banners to say end Whitmer's endless shutdown, collecting record numbers of signatures and record time, he said. We don't need to mislead anyone as to what our one-sentence proposal does. They could read our banners or the entire proposal themselves. Asked for details on specific incidents that could be cooperated by witnesses and to say how Whitmer knows about such instances, incidents, Whitmer spokesman Tiffany Brown referred a reporter to Keep Michigan Safe, the group opposing the petition drive. We have received numerous reports across the state of Unlocked Michigan petition gatherers trying to get residents to sign these petitions under false pretenses said Mark Fisk, 
a reporter for keeping Keep Michigan safe. Some petition others have said the measure will help Whitmer, he said. Others have said it will help small businesses, create jobs, or hire more police and firefighters, he said. Fisk provided screenshots of Facebook posts about such incidents and said he would attempt to provide contact information for witnesses. Ken Said of Livonia, a tool and die maker for an auto company, said he was approached at a grocery store about two weeks ago by a man who asked him whether he would sign a petition to help the governor. He said he read the petition, and when he saw that it was about what it was about, he did not think it would help Whitmer. The man said it would help her balance her duties, said Said, who refused to sign it. Robin Pettypiece, who has a summer home in Rochester, said she was visiting the farmer's market in St. Joseph when she was twice approached by a woman asking her to sign a petition to help the governor. Petty Peace said the woman would not answer follow-up questions about the petition, and although she did not look at or sign the petition, she believes the woman was circulating the petition to repeal the emergency law and described it inaccurately to try to get her to sign. Um, what? That, so, this, I'm, I don't even know about the first guy. I'm not saying whether or not he's telling the truth. But this Robin Petty piece uh, didn't even see the petition. She didn't read it. She didn't look at it. But she's a witness to say that that it was a petition for the, to repeal the emergency law. That's just what I guess she's just going with her gut instinct. That is ridiculous that that's what they're using from Keep Michigan Safe. Um, I don't know about this Ken Said. I, who knows? Um you know, it's kind of sketchy. Approached at a grocery store, he doesn't say where, about two weeks ago by a man. Um, you know, who knows if that's even true. He doesn't give any real specifics. Um, so uh, we don't know. But this Robin Petty piece is, uh, she's a piece, a piece of work. She's just making up stuff, it sounds to me like, just because it's cool to jump on the bandwagon. Um... The petition language, I'm continuing in the article, the petition language to repeal the 1945 law is only one sentence long. Asked why members of the public would not read the petition before signing, Fisk said he could not speak for them, but he urged anyone who was approached to first read the petition and then not sign it. Well, uh, all right. Um, Whitmer said Wednesday that without the law and the restrictions she has been able to impose as a result of the law, such as a face mask requirement and the closure or partial closure of certain businesses, Michigan would look a heck of a lot more like Florida, which has been experiencing a recent surge of coronavirus cases and death. Okay, so she just admitted here that she's the one under this law that is shutting down the businesses. So why is she blaming Trump and saying he's the one who's at fault because businesses are shut down because of COVID? Oh my goodness. It's like a pretzel, the way they she wraps herself up into... One minute wanting to take credit for keeping America safe, and then on the other hand, blaming Trump because everything is shut down. On Monday, Unlock Michigan complained to the Grand Traverse County Sheriff's Office about a Facebook post urging people to disrupt a signature gathering session in the county by signing false names, scribbling on the petitions, or running away with the clipboard. Whitmer backers appear to be the ones who have cornered the market on unscrupulous behavior, Wozniak said. 
A lawsuit seeking to block the petition drive was dismissed Monday by the Michigan Court of Appeals. Well, that's good. That's great. Anyway, this is just this is just getting stupid. I mean, come on, people. This is. Uh, I don't know. I just get so worked up about these things. This is just nonsense. All right. Um, all right. This uh, article. Uh, right, this article is from TechCrunch. Um, and it is talking about uh, what school it's talking about Albion College. Um, and it says, fearing coronavirus, a Michigan college is tracking its students with a flawed app and students have no way to opt out. This is from Zach Whitaker. And it says, schools and universities across the United States are split on whether to open for the fall semester, thanks to the ongoing pandemic. Albion College, a small liberal arts school in Michigan, said in June it would allow its nearly 1,500 students to return to campus for the new academic year starting in August. Lectures would be limited in size, and the semester would finish by Thanksgiving rather than December. The school said it would test both staff and students upon their arrival to campus and throughout the ad academic year. But less than two weeks before students began arriving on campus, the school announced it would require them to download and install a contact tracing app called Aura, which it says will help it tackle any coronavirus outbreaks on camp campus. There's a catch. The app is designed to track students' real-time locations around the clock, and there is no way to opt out. The Aura app lets the school know when a student tests positive for COVID-19. It also comes with a contact tracing feature that alerts students when they have come into close proximity with the person who tested positive for the virus. But the feature requires constant access to the student's real-time location, which the college says is necessary to track the spread of any exposure. The school's mandatory use of the app sparked privacy concerns and prompted parents to launch a petition to make using the app optional. Worse, the app had at least two security vulnerabilities, only discovered after the app was rolled out. One of the vulnerabilities allowed access to the app's back-end servers. The other allowed us to enter to um, the other allowed us to infer a student's COVID-19 test results. The vulnerabilities were fixed, but students are still expected to use the app or face suspension. Exactly how Aura came to be and how Albion became its first major customer is a mystery. Aura was developed by Nucleus Careers in the months after the pandemic began. Nucleus Careers is a Pennsylvania-based recruiting firm founded in 2020 with no apparent history or experience in building or developing healthcare apps besides a brief mention in a recent press release. The app was built in partnership with Genetworks, a Virginia-based lab providing coronavirus tests. We asked Genetworks about the app and its involvement, but TechCrunch did not hear back from the company. The app helps students locate and schedule COVID-19 tests on campus. Once a student is tested for COVID-19, the results are fed into the app. If the test comes back negative, 
The app displays a QR code, which, when scanned, says the student is certified free of the virus. If the student tests positive or has yet to be tested, the student's QR code will read denied. Aura uses a student's real-time location to determine if they have come into contact with any other person with the virus. Most other contact tracing apps use a nearby Bluetooth signals, which experts say is more privacy-friendly. Hundreds of academics have argued that collecting and storing location data is bad for privacy. In addition to having to install the app, students were told they are not allowed to leave campus for the duration of the semester without permission over fears that contact with the wider community might bring the virus back to campus. If a student leaves campus without permission, the app will alert the school and the student's ID card will be locked and access to campus buildings will be revoked, according to an email to students seen by TechCrunch. Students are not allowed to turn off their location and can be suspended and removed from campus if they violate the policy. Private universities in the U.S. like Albion can largely set and enforce their own rules and have been linked to, quote, shadow criminal justice systems without any of the protections or powers of a criminal court, unquote, where students can face discipline and expulsion for almost any reason with little to no recourse. Last year, TechCrunch reported on a student at Tufts University who was expelled for alleged grade hacking despite exculpatory evidence in her favor. Albion said in an online Q&A that the, quote, only time a student's location data will be accessed is if they test positive or if they leave campus without proper procedure, unquote. But the school has not said how it will ensure that student location data is not improperly accessed or who will have the access. I think it's more creepy than anything and has caused me a lot of anxiety about going back one student going into their senior year who asked not to be named, told TechCrunch. One Albion student was not convinced the app was safe or private. The student who asked to go by her Twitter handle at Q3W3E3 decompiles and analyzes apps on the side. I just like knowing what apps are doing, she told TechCrunch. Buried in the app's source code, she found hard-coded secret keys for the app's back-end servers, hosted on Amazon Web Services. She tweeted her findings with careful reductions to prevent redactions to prevent use, misuse and reported the problems to Nucleus, but did not hear back. Um, anyway, there's more here. Um, they do some analysis of it. and uh, But this, this is just... I, I, I think it's a horrible. I think it's horrible. This is just ridiculous. Um... It's an absolute vi violation of privacy and civil liberties. Of course, the problem is that um, they are only, you know, they're not forcing you to do it. What I mean is they are forcing you to do it, but only if you go there. Like, they're not forcing me to do it. They're not going around and telling private citizens you have to do this. They're saying if you want to go here, you have to do this, which, you know, is not, I don't know. It's kind of a touchy situation. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, and it can that information can easily fall into the wrong hands. But our constitutional rights are so the government cannot violate our rights. It doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, like if if I have a home and somebody wants to come into my house and they're and they and they are carrying a gun, if I was to say I prefer you didn't bring a gun into my house, I have I have kids here, I'd like them not to be around guns, 
you can't say I'm violating their Second Amendment rights because it's my home. I have a right to decide who I want in my home or not and what I want in my home. So, you know, you can make the choice. Well, if you won't let me have my gun and I'm not coming in or you can say, OK, I'll leave my gun in the vehicle or I'll leave it outside or something. You know, you can make a choice. So being a private college. Yeah, this is an invasion of their privacy, certainly. And I certainly would not want any of my kids if I had children to go to a college like that. But it's I don't know if it's a violation of civil liberties because it's a private institution. So I'm not I'm not well versed on the law. Like, I don't know if that just applies to the government or would they say any institution. But I, I think it's messed up. And the fact that this tech crunch, which is this is what they do for a living. I mean, they study technology and all this stuff. You know, the whole thing sounds really flaky and, and sketchy. You know, that this company that they got it from didn't even exist before this year, that they have these weird connections. I mean, it's from Pennsylvania and they have a connection with a coronavirus testing thing out in Virginia. And it just this comes out of nowhere. And, you know, it hasn't been through any real trials. It just started up this year. We've already seen two vulnerabilities. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I This is just really sketchy. Um, I don't know. First of all, I don't know why anyone would send their kids to a small liberal arts school anyway. I mean, what exactly are they going to do with their life? I'm not sure. But, I mean, if that's how they want to waste their money, I guess, go ahead. But uh, this is just ridiculous. I, and and I, I'm hoping that this isn't a, uh, a preview of things to come, that more colleges and more um, agencies, and certainly I would hope that the state wouldn't decide that we need to do this if we're, you know, like, I, I hope this isn't an incentive that, okay, we can reopen everything if everybody gets a tracker, which, you know, so we can we can track coronavirus cases and make us choose between do we want everything locked down or do we want to accept a violation of our civil liberties in order to open up? It's not completely far-fetched either. I mean, seriously, that's how, uh, that's how the Soviet Union took over Ukraine. If any of you are familiar with that, they... Uh, they blocked food imports into Ukraine because Ukraine wouldn't give in to the Soviet Union. So Stalin blocked all food imports and, and his troops went through and destroyed all the farms and, and businesses that provided food. So the people were starving and then said, if you join the Soviet Union, you'll get food or you guys can, and your children continue, can continue to starve to death. And finally they said, we need to eat. And we'd rather have food than have freedom. So they gave in. So it's not unheard of for for people or groups or a state to make you decide you can either have freedom or you can you can curb your freedom and and get something in return. So I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but I'm saying this is what I fear that if this becomes widespread, this idea of using trackers and and, and location trackers and this kind of stuff, who knows where it'll end. Um so I'm, I'm completely opposed to this. Uh, I would say boycott Albion College, but I don't know anybody who is stupid enough to go to Albion College. So, you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, they're not exactly the sharpest people in the first place to even go there. So I don't know. Um, all right. That maybe that was kind of rude. I mean, maybe there's some decent people go to Albion. Maybe you guys have family or friends who go to Albion. I don't know. It just seems liberal arts. I just don't understand. I just don't understand why anybody would go to a liberal liberal arts school. But 
Anyway, um, that's just atrocious. And the last article um, is it's actually from MLive, even though the, oh oh it is uh, never mind. I, I started to say none of my stories are or one of all of my stories end up being from Michigan. I was thinking this was from New York for some reason. I I read it several days ago and I I forgot that it was in Flint. Firefighter and former police officer among the 17 arrested in a Flint area sex trafficking sting. Um, a Burton firefighter who served as a former police officer with multiple agencies in Genesee County is one of 17 people arrested in a months-long operation by the Genesee Human Oppression Strike Team, or GHOST for short. Matthew J. Hyde, 40, of Burton, is charged with child sexually abusive activity, accosting a child for immoral purposes, and using a computer to commit a crime. He was one of the suspects arrested during the most recent operation that began in March. Other suspects named who were arraigned, including John Lisner of Grand Block, Pong Lore of Shelby Township, Ronald Brooks of Flint, Thomas Trinkline of Saginaw, Michael Boudouin of Howell, Eric Middlewood of Otisville, and Lonnie Anderson Hendrick of Lapeer. Nine additional suspects have been charged but not yet arraigned. Um, Genesee County Sheriff Chris Swanson said at a Wednesday, uh, August 19th press conference that Hyde believed he was speaking to two 14-year-old girls who were really sheriff's deputies acting as chatters. He had a 15-minute phone call with one of our decoys, noted Swanson. In his truck, when he was arrested, he had two loaded firearms, a police ID, a police badge, of which was, he was not associated with. Swanson told MLive and the Flint Journal that Hyde had also previously worked in the Marine Division of the Genesee County Sheriff's Office, but was not a certified police officer at the time. Um, Burton Mayor Dwayne Haskins said Hyde has been suspended without pay from the fire department. Mm, well, you think? I, you know. Haskins, who previously served with the Genesee County Sheriff's Office, called pinning, a, pinning the badge on your chest right above your heart is a thing most of us hold true as honor, integrity, and to protect and serve and work for the people. Um, when you have somebody that has that badge and they go the other way and they do something derogatory, it then instills the distrust in the public. Absolutely, I agree. I just want to let everybody know, especially in our city and the residents of Burton, that please don't look at one individual that our fire department now is tainted and it's bad. This was addressed. This was handled. It was corrected. This individual is no longer with the city. Swanson rhetorically asked why he continues to hold press conferences about ghost team operations. These folks, I want them to know there's a watchdog out there, he said. I don't want anybody to show up, and if people have struggles with that, then they get professional help and not harm another child. Um. Hyde is due back in court uh, in September for a probable cause hearing. Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to touch on that. Uh, we don't really have time to go delve into it. I, I think I think what the fireman said is correct. There are always bad apples in any group. Humans are sinners. Humans are not, by nature, good people. Um, they might be decent, and they might you know, they might not be horrible, horrible people, but, but we all have a tendency to, to evil. So, and police officers and firefighters are no different. Um, this shouldn't diminish just because it was a police officer does not serve the whole police officers are bad, defund the police movement. Although I know many will say that this is exactly why we need to get rid of the police. 
Um, but I wanted to say this is this is something that's been on my heart for a while, and I know that uh, in the Flint area, Detroit area, I've been hearing about this whispers about this for quite some time about human trafficking and sex trafficking coming out of there. It's not something I really want to research or look into because it's so horrific and I don't, it just hurts my heart to read about it, especially since I know there's nothing I can do personally. Um, but I've known for a while that there is something going on over there. I've been hearing about it for a while, whispers about it. And it, we had a big, oh, I don't know. I think it might've been earlier this year or last year, like 40 or some people were busted in a, a sting operation. So this obviously is widespread. There's 17 here. There was 40 earlier this year or late last year. There's obviously a widespread, um, some kind of human trafficking and sex trafficking coming out of the east side of Michigan. Uh, so definitely we need to keep an eye on that. We need to be very cautious about, especially if you have kids or grandkids, they need to be cautious about who they're speaking to on the computers, on the internet. Um, I know it's not fashionable to tell your teens that you want to look at their computers and things. I know that if I was a teenager, I would probably be offended if my parents told me, hey, let me look at your computer, see what you're looking at, see who you're talking to. I would be upset. But as an adult, I'd rather my kids get upset with me uh, because I'm caring about them than uh, allowing them to somehow get involved in some kind of uh horrible sex trafficking cult or be kidnapped or, or, or held hostage or sold into some kind of thing. I mean, you know, you can handle a teenager being mad at you. They'll get over it. Um, but you'll never get over allowing your child to be stolen or molested or raped or killed by one of these monsters. So, um, Anyway, yeah, uh, this was probably quite the story. I mean, quite the uh, quite the show. All of my stories took place here in Michigan, which is unusual. Um, again, we we have less than seventy days before the election. We're not going to talk about that. I'm going to be ending here real soon. But yeah, uh, it's as it gets closer, we're going to see more and more. It's going to get crazy out there, folks. You just got to stay sane. Uh, don't take anything that you're hearing with a grain of salt. I mean, take everything you're hearing with a grain of salt. Don't take it all. Don't follow it all blindly. If you hear something, research it. Find out if what you're hearing is true. Uh, articles are very misleading. Um, uh, headlines are very misleading. You got to read the article. There are many times the headline will say one thing and the article will say the exact opposite. But again, like I've told you about before, a lot of people just see the headline. They're scrolling and they read the headline and they keep going. And if that's all you hear, if all that's all you see, then you get you get uh, uh, you get a lot of misinformation and a false sense of what's happening. So, anyway, um, hope you guys are having an awesome day, and uh, thanks for joining me. And I'll join. Uh, I'll see you next week.